Welcome to the DLA Piper Tech Law podcast series in preparation for the European Technology Summit 2021 to be held on the 5th of October. My name is Luca Gori. I'm a London-based partner and corporate M&A lawyer at global business law firm DLA Piper. Today we have Sunita Grote with us. Sunita leads the ventures team within UNICEF's Office of Innovation and co-founded its venture fund. Uh, welcome, Sunita. Um, would you like to introduce yourself to our audience, please? Sure. Thank you so much, Luca and uh, DLA Piper for inviting us to be here today. Um, my name is Sunita. I lead the UNICEF Ventures team. Um, have the real privilege of, you know, working together with a very eclectic mix of of people who uh, together explore how emerging frontier technology can support the work that UNICEF does very specifically how we can accelerate our results that we're looking to achieve um, across 190 countries and really close collaboration with our colleagues who work on the ground. The first question I'd like to ask you, Sunita, is UNICEF uh, Ventures funds a variety of investments and startups across the world where it operates. Which emerging technologies and trends are coming increasingly into focus for you, Sunita? Yeah, so our team really focuses um, specifically on digital solutions and even more specifically on what we call frontier technology solutions. And how we generally define that are technology sectors that have about a $100 billion market cap and that we see as holding the potential to significantly impact the lives of children and young people and, of course, the communities around them um, in the coming years. So some of the key areas that we've been exploring over the last couple of years include things like AI and data science, blockchain, drones and XR, and we've learned quite a few things about how uh, these technologies can or cannot actually have a positive impact and help us solve some of the big problems we're trying to tackle um, as UNICEF. So some of the successes we've seen and some of the places where we've seen these technology areas really help us work more efficiently and more effectively um, to reach children more quickly include, for instance, Project Connect, uh, which is a map that provides real-time data on school locations and their connectivity status. And we're now using that information to um, more effectively deliver connectivity to schools around the world um, through a co-led initiative called GIGA that we launched uh, two years ago now. Um, Magic Box is another product that we've been using as an organization uh, that leverages big data provided to us actually by a set of corporate partners that work very closely with UNICEF. And here we're really being able to use that data to predict, for instance, the spread of epidemics, the impact of school closures and social distancing measures, um, but also to look at how we can collect data on children and their needs, um, maybe from areas that are physically inaccessible or not, uh, not so easily reached by, by our colleagues. And then we've also you know, looked at how drones, for instance, can help us deliver vaccines more effectively to areas that are hard to reach in the Pacific and other areas, other regions around the world. So some really interesting work that's emerged over the last couple of years that while our team really focuses on the early stage piece of that, so the initial prototyping and piloting of solutions, we then look at what generates promising results and we then help the organization look at how to accelerate those solutions and how to take them to scale across, across our programs. Um, around the world. So if we look ahead, we see a few big trends coming our way that we expect to have a significant impact on, on children's lives and their communities. One of them is around the future of data. And there, you know, we're seeing, of course, a huge growth in the amount of data that we're, that we're generating and that's being generated around the world with increasing access to connectivity and 5G. We're going to be looking at um, people generating data that have so far been excluded and haven't been reflected in, in big data sets. But on the other hand, we're also, of course, 
course, seeing trends in the speed of analysis um, around kind of quantum computing, for instance. Um, and so th those are trends around data and, and not just amount, but also analysis that are going to open opportunities, but that also bring challenges for us as an organization that we want to watch. So we need to really keep an eye on to what extent data sets are representative, to what extent they may lead to greater biases and the kinds of solutions and platforms that are built on top of those data sets. Um, and to what extent we're actually closing the digital divide um, for those that have been and, and may continue to be excluded uh, from then the benefits that digital solutions could bring to them. Another trend we're seeing is sort of around the future of trust and privacy and security, um, obviously linked to blockchain and, and a lot of the trends we're seeing there um, in terms of decentralizing a lot of decision making, um, but also the rise in computing power and kind of what implications that might have for the security of data, specifically the security of data, of course, about children, which, as you can imagine, brings with it a whole different set of, um, of complexity in terms of how we want to present their or pre um, preserve their privacy, but still be able to leverage some of the benefits that and some of the insights that data can, can give us as an organization that really aims to serve every child. Also, the future of finance, against really, again, really linked to that idea of decentralization and that trend of decentralization. Um, and of course, finally, we're seeing increasing automation of everything. Uh, we're seeing uh, what's really interesting for us. On one hand, it brings huge potential is, of course, also automation of services in, in the healthcare setting and in education and learning, which has brought opportunities as children have been at home and as schools have been have closed, closed, but also bring with it challenges to ensure that children are actually learning uh, what they need to learn for, for the future and that they're actually um, you know, seeing the outcomes that they, that they want to gather from learning uh, and, and, and having opportunities for the future. So ultimately, you know, one of the really big trends that we feel we need to address that underpins all of this is the persisting inequality that we see in access to digital connectivity on one hand, but also then inequality in terms of who controls data and in who generates and can capture the value that digital solutions can generate. So we still really see that a lot of those benefits sit largely in the hand of a few and in certain markets. Um, and that on top of identifying promising solutions, we're really looking to change that kind of power dynamic um, and making those more universally accessible. Thank you, Sunita. And uh, with all the subjects that you mentioned, we could uh, you know, feel uh, you know, probably another 10 podcasts. Um, I think our audience would be very interested in uh, knowing a bit of how UNICEF Venture works. Uh, so, for example, what are the sources of capital and how you, you collect it for then you know, investing it and perhaps some words on the, your investment criteria uh, and, and how you identify the innovators or the portfolio companies you want to invest in. If you could please tell us a few words on that. Yeah, so, um, you know, that relates specifically to, to our venture fund, which is the fund that we host within UNICEF. Um, and it's an opportunity for us to really not only pilot new solutions that we see potentially affecting the lives of children, but actually trying to also direct capital to places and to people that may otherwise not have access to traditional VC type funding flows. And so that's really, those are really the two 
key pieces that we saw um, and we looked at as we set up and designed the fund. Um, Chris Fabian, who co-founded the Innovation Fund with me and I at the time had looked at what some of the experiences had been of UNICEF in successfully piloting um, digital solutions. And we use the fund really as the main instrument that we have to leverage the ingenuity, the flexibility um, that sits within the startup ecosystem. Um, because you know, you may or may not know UNICEF is a huge machinery. We have an annual budget of something like $7 billion. We are, um, you know, at just massive machinery of resources and transactions, but also of a fair bit of red tape. And so while we try to be innovative and while we're trying to encourage and work with our colleagues to create a culture of innovation, um, there are just certain things we can't do as well and we can't do as quickly and we can't do as efficiently as, for instance, startups can. And so we really see this as a collaboration uh, with our portfolio companies. And so coming back to your questions around capital, we've been very fortunate to work with a number of partners across different sectors who really bought into this idea that an organization like UNICEF needs to be innovative, needs to be able to take certain kinds of risk and needs to be able to try new things. And so we have partners both from um, private sector as well as from governments, uh, private donors and foundations who have given capital into the fund and who are looking at results at a portfolio level. So very similar to what other uh, funds would be doing for their LPs, we are able to provide them sort of value return um, that cuts across a different a number of different criteria. So for us, we define value in part by the open source intellectual property that our investments generate. So everything that we provide funding for has to be open source. Um, and we work with the companies to ensure that while things are open source, they still uh, have a solid business model in place, that they're able to generate revenue and become profitable. Um, and so that's one one of the main kind of criteria that we look at, it's fundamental to our investment thesis and also the return that our LPs and, and supporters are looking for. You mentioned quite uh, a few times uh, open source solutions and uh, solutions with a purpose. Um, what opportunities as well as challenges uh, does investing in this type uh, of innovations while making them available in the public domain, domain present UNICEF ventures with? Yeah, that's a really good question and one that we face on a daily basis. Um, that balance between opportunity and challenge when it comes to open source is, is something our team grapples with and, and our portfolio companies grapple with as well. So maybe to start with the opportunities, I think, um, you know, solutions that are open source really lend themselves to certain things um, going faster and going uh, going more easily than we would if we were providing or investing in proprietary solutions. We can see that, you know, the scale um, and the ability to accelerate promising solutions isn't limited um, by what a single group of people or owners can do. When something is open source, um, you're not, you don't just have access to the solution itself, you have access to the recipe behind the solution. And so, we use the famous cake analogy here, you know, you can't just buy the cake, you can buy the recipe and you can make it in as many, you can make as many cakes as you like, you can make it in a different flavor, you can make it of a different size. Um, and so that means that I can really tailor what I need um, according to my particular context. And we've seen that that can significantly accelerate scale um, of solutions that are bringing results because we're not tied to a specific group of people. Um, we can also, it also helps us actually re-examine and disrupt some of those power balances that really underpin proprietary technology solutions. So we see that um, because something is open source, we're able to actually generate 
and capture value for local startup and, and technology ecosystems. Um, so those ecosystems and those stakeholders can be involved in maintaining an open source solution, in localizing it, um, in growing it, even if they weren't the ones who may have originally come up with the core idea. They will still make it their own, but we're basically seeing that it can generate economic value um, for settings that may have otherwise not been able to capture that. Um, we're also seeing that we can basically um, allow for combinations of solutions and platforms in ways that aren't usually possible. So we've seen our portfolios collaborate at a very practical platform level and have actually built solutions that are then uh, more scalable, more quickly across markets. So the Magic Box platform I mentioned earlier really is a result of in-house production and in-house building and prototyping that we did at UNICEF Ventures, but also really taking and collaborating closely with startups that have generated certain algorithms, for instance, that access to certain data sets. And they, in return, got access to what UNICEF was able to um, secure in the, in the data science field and, and in the platform field. And so those are the kinds of collaboration that, you know, it really lends itself to. On the challenge side, um, you know, I think our team could probably fill a book on that. But uh, the most common challenge is that a lot of people assume that open source means it has to be free and that open source cannot make money. And so that's something that we constantly get questioned on and we constantly get pushed back on. And so we have done a fair bit of work looking at documenting business models, like how can you be open source and still make money? How do you define your value proposition as a company when your value proposition can't be entirely defined by what often companies call their secret sauce? Um, and actually, when you dissect that a little bit, you understand and you can see that a, IP can be copied really easily these days. So if your business depends entirely on your, on your software idea, chances are that's maybe not going to be very sustainable over time. So what is the value that you create as a team around that that actually makes you very unique, makes you a unique service provider, makes you unique in being able to you know, actually deploy that solution and scale it and tailor it according to the need. And so that's one of the challenges that we, as well as our portfolio, uh, you know, come across very frequently. The second piece I would say is that often open source solutions are not as easily discoverable and accessible. So while um, there are often open source alternatives available, they're not as nicely packaged, they're not often as known as some of the proprietary solutions that have big industry players behind them. And just on a side note to say, there's a lot of big industry players that actually do open source their solutions. And I think those are always good examples to look at because somebody is making money um, from those. Um, but that's something where we've paired up and teamed up with the government of Norway, the government of Sierra Leone and iSpirit to found what's called the Digital Public Goods Alliance, where we're really trying to plug that gap to make open source solutions and open source alternatives very easily discoverable. We've come up with a platform that's searchable across the sustainable development goals that present open source um, platform solutions, content, algorithms, models that can be accessed and can be deployed in country so that we can fill this knowledge gap um, and this access gap and, and actually provide solutions that are, that are open source and that can then bring governments and other users the benefits and the opportunities that open source can bring. Thank you. And, and, and I agree with you that sometimes you do hear the challenges to open source. Uh, uh, and um, I think the short sighted, there's plenty of examples in the, in the market of uh, open source players. I personally have done a lot of M&A for Red Hat uh, in the US, uh, who, you know, whose entire business is based on open source. So uh, definitely plenty of opportunities there. And changing a bit uh, the 
the angle of my questions is uh, you, 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 you mentioned that you, you have done, uh, or rather UNICEF Ventures, uh, you know, looks to invest uh, in uh, developing countries and emerging growth com uh, countries. Um, and that is, a, is an element of diversity. But I also know you have a strong emphasis on diversity uh, in your investment strategy strategies. How does uh, this principle manifest in the practice and process of uh, governing and deploying the capital you raise uh, and uh, invest in order to foster the social impact of your, of your investing? Yeah, it's a really key principle, both in how we um, deploy our capital and also in our own team uh, at UNICEF Ventures. And you know, I think what's really telling is if you look a little bit at the numbers globally about, um, about VC and where VC funding flows, it's pretty abysmal. So the numbers show that somewhere between 2 and 10% of VC funding globally goes to female-led companies. Um, and so obviously that's a huge um, you know, imbalance in terms of the kinds of ideas, but also the kinds of founders, of course, that VC capital tends to tends to support. Um, but on the other hand, data has been telling us for quite some time now that supporting female companies isn't just a nice thing to have, it's actually better business. Um, and it is smart investing. And so that's something that we looked at a couple of years ago, we familiarized ourselves with the data. And, you know, maybe just to say up front, we weren't, we weren't doing too badly even before we embarked on this. We had, um, we had a, a balance in our portfolio that was significantly above industry average, but we felt that we had to hold ourselves to the highest standard and set ourselves the aim of having a gender balanced portfolio in terms of the leadership, the founding and the leadership of the portfolio companies that, that we have. Um, and so uh, we launched um, what we call the Smart Investing Initiative a couple of years ago and really aimed to be very transparent and open about our own shortcomings and kind of the own challenges that we were facing in creating a balanced portfolio and try to contribute to what we hope would be an open discussion around why um, there is such an imbalance in how VC funding is being allocated across different kinds of companies. And so, you know, we looked at our own unconscious biases on the team um, and tried to understand whether we were bringing some of that bias to our own selection process. We looked at numbers and data across different stages of our process, wondering whether maybe you know, those biases were contributing to female companies being excluded at a particular stage. Um, how did we fare on sourcing? And so that led us to a far more, I think, conscious and proactive approach to make sure that both on the sourcing and the selection and then finally decision stage, we kept diversity front and center. I think one of the main lessons for me, both as kind of a, a lead on the team, but also as, as looking the, look, seeing the fund evolve is that diversity doesn't just happen. It's not something that, you know, you can be personally committed to. Um, but unless you put processes in place and checkpoints in place every step along the way, it's very easy um, for things to fall off, fall off the radar. And so we're very proud that, you know, our portfolio is about 40% female-led, still not where we want to be, but it's it's quite significant. And, and we're particularly impressed that our most recently announced um, portfolio or cohort of investments that were focused on blockchain solutions was actually majority female-led. And so those are some of the some of the wins that we really see um, coming through uh, on, on our focus from our focus, focus on diversity. It's been an exciting challenge and one that I can only confirm bears fruit in terms of performance uh, that we see both within our portfolio companies, but also the kinds of solutions we invest in to make sure they're representative, as well as the performance kind of, of, our, of my own team as well.
thank you for that. And, and given all that you have said, uh, I think it'll be important uh, for our listeners to uh, understand what the outcomes of your approach and processes uh, are. So uh, may I ask you to share some examples of how UNICEF uh, benches has uh, recently and during the and post the pandemic been delivering tangible social impact for children uh, in the areas you operate. So I don't know, examples of how you have improved access to health uh, or education or other services uh, and, and the like. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, COVID hit um, a year and a half ago and, and we are all, I think, still, still grappling from the aftermath and in some regions, not the aftermath at all, but still very much at the peak of, peak of, the, peak of the crisis. And, and a lot of countries will be seeing that effect for years and years to come. Um, you know, the majority of schools were closed children will face a learning gap um, and it's really exacerbated that learning crisis that the world was already facing in a lot of settings um, around the world. So it's really been, it's really been a, a, a challenge that UNICEF as a whole organization has had to grapple um, and reorient a lot of our programs and efforts towards to not only respond to the crisis now, but also look at how we can build back better um, once the crisis subsides, prepare ourselves for the next one that is no doubt going to come. Um, and so, you know, from our side, we've, we looked at a few, um, a few key things. On one hand, over the last couple of, uh, last two years, we spun off um, GIGA, which is the initiative focused on, on connectivity and connecting every school in the world. Connectivity became sort of the, 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 the key to access to any life-saving service over the last couple of years. Um, you know, we've seen, of course, a growing importance in learning online, health services online, financial transactions online, um, being able to connect with peers. And so that's been sort of our effort and, and our investment in really dealing with the underlying barriers that are still excluding a lot of children and young people from those services. And so that's something that we set up about two years ago um, and together with our partner ITU and, and is now scaling in, in, in 20 countries. Um, on the second hand, we've then, as I mentioned to the Digital Public Goods Alliance, also been talking a lot about how having things as public goods can actually accelerate the response to crises like COVID-19. Um, and so we've talked a lot about, for instance, the need to have systems that support vaccine delivery to be open source and what that means for countries that can more easily pick those solutions up and deploy them um, without having to then look at expensive licensing, adding to the costs they're already bearing um, and actually be able to deploy and adapt those solutions more quickly in a, in a time of crisis. Now, looking ahead in the next five or even 10 years, how do you foresee uh, UNICEF Ventures investment portfolio strategy changing you know, to, to address what happens uh, uh, you know, or after the global pandemic or, or the secondary effect of the, of the global pandemic? Yeah, I mean, the effect is real and it's real today. It's not even something that I think, um, you know, we need to wait five or 10 years out. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, we, we are seeing that pivot and we're seeing the need of our investments and our portfolio companies and our country offices in really big ways to be, have that flexibility to, to adjust to, to the needs of the pandemic. And so, you know, some of the examples I mentioned are really around how our current portfolios, um, portfolio companies last year already pivoted their products to meet those needs and the ability for us to be flexible and very quickly be able to disperse additional support for them to adjust um, through our crypto fund was one adaptation that um, you know was 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 
came in very handy that we'd already had in place and, and made us far more adjustable and, and responsive to the needs of those companies. And I think we've, we've also already seen how um, the pandemic has affected the kinds of solutions that we're looking to invest in. So last year we launched a call looking for solutions that can help children stay safe online as more children are going online and using online platforms for learning to connect with their peers at an increasing rate we unfortunately also see that that means more exploitation of children online and so the next cohort we'll be launching um, will be companies that are looking at how to leverage ai and blockchain among other technologies to actually um, keep data safe and support children identify harmful content online etc and keep them safe as they will be increasingly using online platforms um, for learning and also other uh, key aspects of their lives. And the other call and the other focus that we're seeing is really uh, this growing um, remote service delivery. And that is a fun that's obviously just exploded over the last 18 months. If we think about remote learning, again, being a very obvious example, but also telemedicine and the provision of health services in a remote way um, and a virtual way, we're seeing that that um, we need platforms that can do that safely, but that can also provide for very tailored um, experiences for those that have particular needs and particular questions in those areas. And so we will be launching shortly a call for applications that looks at companies or is looking to support companies that are developing these kinds of tailored customized solutions that can be deployed um, and support core service delivery in ways uh, that is more effective and more efficient um, and actually can be adapted very much to local context and, and local need. But I think um, if we maybe take a step back from those very specific ideas or very specific solutions, one of the things that we're, that we're really hoping is that the pandemic drew attention to the fact that in these, these crises affect us all and that it's really in all of our interests that um, communities around the world have access to solutions that can save their lives. You know, we're talking about really concrete things like vaccines and the systems that can help deliver those vaccines, but also that can spread information instantly, that can keep children learning and that can help us understand in real time what is happening in all parts around the world. And unless those solutions are accessible and are available to everyone who needs them, that's actually, has it has a knock-on effect and, and holds all of us back in being able to deal with these crises um, as they appear and 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 they will at an increasing rate. So you know we are as a team looking to sort of build a future and an internet that is good um, and what that means you'll have to watch that space for the next couple of months but we're basically trying to imagine and build a place where we can safely engage online where we are in control of our data where we can share and uh, share value online, maybe with those that have not otherwise had access and where we can build solutions in an open way that can generate value for everybody. And that doesn't kind of keep it in the hands of the few. So, so we'll be building that out and, and launching that over the next couple of months. Um, so, so watch this space. I'll be excited to share the news with you. Um, and we really are looking forward to having more and more partners of any kind join us um, to build and kind of grow that kind of digital world. Th thank you, Sunita, for your insight in the UNICEF uh, uh, Venture Fund. I uh, really appreciated it. And uh, thank you for taking the time to join us for this podcast. To our listeners, thank you for joining us for this installment of the Tech Law podcast series in preparation for the DLA Piper European Technology Summit 2021 to be held on 5th of October. Uh, thank you all for listening.